everybody. Welcome to another episode of Court Side with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As always, have with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. We have now gotten through Rome. Plenty of late nights. We're, we're one step away now. The next tournament, basically, the next main tournament is the second Grand Slam of the year, Roland Garros. Gosh, this clay court season feels so long, but we're right there, Steve. Yeah, we are. Listen, I certainly, the one prediction I do have that we won't get as much rain in Paris as we had in Rome this week. That was astounding. Day after that felt really empathetic toward the players uh, having to sit around through so many rain breaks. And it went on day after day after day. There was hardly a dry day in the whole event. So it was an ordeal for these guys, but they got the, they got the practice, they got the match play they needed. Now it, most of them are going to use the next week to get ready for Roland Garros. There'll be a few guys that will play in some 250s in the coming week. Right. And and I'll, I'll say this, you know, there were some really, really top, top players that got upset very early in Rome. And to name just a few, you know, Jesse Pagula lost, Sabalenka lost. Um, this is all like Thursday, May 11th, right? Um, you have Monday, May 15th, Carlos Alcaraz lost. To me, Pagula, Sabalenka, Alcaraz, they played so much tennis. No reason to panic. They're ready. They'll rest up. If they lose in Roland Garros, it's not because of what happened in Rome. I'll tell you that much. They will. They 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 should be full of confidence and ready to go when this slam starts. Yeah, I think so. Pagula is a little bit different than the other two because she she prides herself on the week in week out results, and she got to number three through consistency, not through necessarily climbing to the heights and winning a lot of tournaments. But you're right in that. She had played and won a lot leading up to that. It might make her a bit fresh for Paris. It certainly, I think it was the best thing that could happen to Alcaraz, to tell you the truth, because he'll put the loss behind him so quickly, and he'd already won two tournaments. If he plays deep into Rome, potentially gets injured again, he doesn't need that. He wasn't really, I think, 100% physically last year when he tried to come back for the French Open after being injured and missing Rome. So my feeling is he, he'll be, he, he actually will be relieved that it happened, and I still make him the clear favorite for Roland Garros. No, I agree. Um, you know, a, a person that I've said as a dark horse, again, not to win it, but maybe depending on the draw, maybe a quarterfinal. Musetti, he had a nice run there. Sitsipas beat him in two tight sets very late at night. I think they got on like, God, 11 o'clock at night or something like that. They started. Um Musetti's a guy you just, he could lose in the first round or he could do a lot of damage. And like I said, maybe make a run. He's played top players tough. Um, Sitsipas did get through it in a couple of sets, but he's someone to keep an eye out on. Yeah, he, he's, an, he's a very emotional player. He's great on the clay. I agree with your assessment. You know, you don't quite know what to expect, but more than likely he can do some damage in at Roland Garros. And uh, I hope his draw is, Hope he has a favorable draw that he can he can get into that tournament, have a couple of easy wins early on, and then come up against one of the top players and see what he can do. He's exciting to watch. Yes, he is definitely exciting to watch. I love watching his matches, especially against the top players, because it always seems like he comes to play against those top guys. So um, let's talk let's talk Novak because it's interesting. Obviously, didn't have the most ideal prep going into Rome. Was able to sink his teeth into the tournament, more so than the previous tournaments he was doing in his prep on the clay court, um, clay court season. Lost to Holger Runa. Um, Runa has beaten him now a, a couple times. One, I'll ask, maybe there's a little rivalry starting between them. And two, 
I'll ask you, how do you view the prep that Novak has going into Roland Garros now? Was not a disaster. You sized it up well. He got four matches in this week. In the other two tournaments combined, he got four matches in. He got three wins this time as opposed to winning one match in each of the other two tournaments. So in that sense, yes, a little uh, it, it helps in the preparation. I think he wanted a bit more, obviously. He would have liked to have beaten Runa and gotten a crack at Casper Rude and then maybe been in the finals playing Medvedev today. And that would have been ideal if he could have gone, done that. Having said that, uh, as long as he's healthy, David, that's my biggest concern. He still had the elbow sleeve on a little bit in the fir- his first match in Rome. Then we, we saw that discarded, but he had a little treatment before he beat Nori in the round of 16. The announcer talked about that and appeared to be the shoulder. And then he got a painkiller when he played uh, Holger Runa. And he didn't play well in the Runa match, David. The first and third sets, he, he got impatient and no doubt that uh, Runo played beautifully on, uh, in the wet conditions and he was hardly missing a ball and he was so quick and Djokovic was talking about how, how hard it was to get a ball by him. Uh, so part of it was how well Runa played, but Novak didn't keep up his end of the bargain in either the first or third sets. He managed to squeeze out the second. So I, he knows he's got to get a lot better, but at least he didn't lose early this time. At least he was in the quarters. It's a step in the right direction. Now he needs to the big thing is going to be, does he look physically 100% in Paris? Because he has not really been physically 100% throughout this clay court campaign. That that would be my biggest concern. And, you know, you said he got the four matches in. It would be interested, It would be interesting to see if, let's say, he gets the first, second, and third rounds in Paris pretty clean and gets through those pretty clean. Then I think you say, look, he's now got seven matches and he's worked his way into the tournament now. And I think the longer he, you know, obviously the longer he's in the draw, better chance he's going to have, but I'm just saying from lack of maybe match practice or whatever, if he can get through those first few matches in Roland Garros, then I think any of the prep that we've talked about before goes out the window. He's there and he's ready to roll. Yeah, I agree. I mean, part of it also is just, feeling like he's getting better round by round. Let's just say he dropped a set in the first round. It wasn't great, but was played okay. And then, you know, gets through a tough, a tough, another tough one in the second round. But by the third and fourth rounds, we're seeing him closer to his peak. That's what I think he's hoping for. But it's right. going to depend a lot on what's ever going on with his body, the elbow and the shoulder. I, You know, he, he doesn't talk much about it. None of them do. And I don't blame them because you don't want to really signal it to your opponents. But if, if that part of his... If that part of him is right, then I think we're going to see him lift his game because that's what he said all along, David, was he wanted to peak for Paris. And I mean, I don't think he's that jarred by not getting great results in the three tournaments. But what he really wants is a chance to win a third Roland Garros. And, to, and there is time, as your point is well taken. There's time that if you play your way into form in the first week, plus having not played that many matches, he should be physically Physically, he should be fresh. He just has to get over whatever whatever these ailments are. Right. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. We go on the on the women's side, and we've said for a while now we got Sviatek, Sabalenka, and Rabakina, right? Rabakina wins this tournament on clay. We've always said, and I think it, most would agree, grass and hard court are better suited for her game other than clay. She, she wins a match. She, she wins this tournament. Um, in Rome, yes, several of her, of her opponents had to retire, including Sviatek when she had to retire. I think it was 2-2 in the third. Then even in the final, she wanted her opponent had to retire. Um, 
still for someone who, you know, may not feel so great on clay winning this Rome title has to be huge for her confidence going into Roland Garros. Listen, she was down six, two, four, two, and break point down in the seventh game of that second set against Iga Swiatek. That could what, could have been two and two for Swiatek to sort of make amends for the two losses she's had to her recently. That was a really gutsy uh, effort just to even get it back into the third set and be a two all in the third. That's the part nobody talks enough about. That David, we talk about her serve, which is one of the best in women's tennis. But that temperament, she's unshakable. I, I love the way she competes and it. She didn't panic when she was way down against Iga, and she just hung in there and managed to guts out the second set, got it in a breaker, and went to two all in the third. So I, I, I'm impressed. I don't. I, I honestly think it's her worst surface. But even on her worst surface here, she's going to be a strong contender in Paris. And then watch out when she goes back to defend her Wimbledon title. Yeah, that, that trifecta. What I said is. It- is fun to watch. Viatek, yeah. Sabalenka. Yeah. And Sabalenka, we didn't talk about it. She'll bounce back. She, yeah. again, she'd come off a title and she'd beaten Iga and she's not going to be terribly jarred by that either. And she's also played a ton of tennis. So I think she's still very confident going into Roland Garros. And actually, I think she's happier on the clay than Rabakina. Uh, you know, I, I think she considers it one of her best services. So I'm let's see what happens with her. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic. No, I agree with those thoughts. Um, all right, so we got the we'll go to the men's semis. You know, it's interesting if I have this right. It's the first time there will be there would be a Rome final without Rafa or Novak in what two thousand four? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, that's because people forget. You know, Rafa winning, I guess. You know, eight. Novak winning six. Constantly that playing finals against each other. I mean. Novak in, in a slew of other finals. So that they, they've been such a major presence at that event. And yeah, finally, the, finally, it, finally it didn't happen this year. And, but it made for a very intriguing final weekend because we got, we got the Sitsipas semifinal against Medvedev. And then we got Runa and Rude, which was something of a, 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 a sort of ballyhooed as a grudge match, although there was really, there really wasn't much that happened in this match. They were very respectful here. And I don't think Rude had any problem with Rune's behavior in this case. But those were really interesting semifinals followed up by a terrific final today with Medvedev taking the title over, over a Rune. Terrific. I mean, D- Daniil Medvedev, I mean, here's a guy who really <laughs> has a disdain for Clay, right? All of a sudden he wins this title he won his semifinal match seven five seven five, and he won the final seven five seven five. Beat Tsitsipas in the semis, and then, like you said, beat uh, beat Rune seven five seven five in today's final. Uh, yeah, Dave, I won't Dave, ever say he's becoming a clay quarter, but uh, how'd you see? Uh, how'd you see him play both those matches? No, I mean I think he is. I honestly think he is. He he was in the quarters of Monte Carlo. Okay, he lost to a top of the line Runa there. And then he lost to his countryman Karatsev in Madrid. That's a funny place with the altitude. And he didn't have a bad tournament. It was the round of 16, won a few matches there. But this was very impressive. He beat Sasha Zarev again, you know, the third time in recent weeks that he's beaten Zarev. But unlike the two previous classes, this one was very straightforward, uh, you know, straight sets, although he struggled a bit in the second, had to save a set point. And then, and then the Sitsipas match was really interesting, David. They had to sit around for hours on end. They were delayed. They started. They got to four all. They left the court. They came back and played one game, left the court again. They were away for hours on and finally got it done. 
And as you said, five and five, same as the final. But it was interesting because Sitsipas was down early. It was down a break in both sets and came back into it. But where I think he really hurt himself is in first set. He was it was five. It, he had come back from a breakdown and he got it back to five wall and had 40 love and lost his serve from 40 love with a double fall on break point. That really hurt him. But same thing in a second. He made a spirited comeback to get back in it. And then then from five all, Medvedev was unstoppable again. So in the crunch, he really came through. And that was it was quite similar today in that he looked it looked like most of the first set that Runa had the upper hand. He had more chances. He had a love 30 at one all. He had a 1540 and at two all. But Medvedev worked his way out of those service games. Meantime, Runa's holding pretty easily. But finally, at five, six, Medvedev just pounced. And he got to a set point, and then the, a drop shot from uh, Runa kind of hung a little bit, sat up a bit, and Medvedev came charging in and just nailed the fourth cross-court forehand winner. But then, and then, so he's got the set. Before you know it, he's down two love in the second. And the second set was just fascinating. It was two love for Runa, then Medvedev up 3-2. Then three games in a row for Runa, five threes, and he ends up serving for the set, and Medvedev runs out the set on four straight games. But the tennis, I thought, was really quite impressive in, in, from both, in, in both sets, frankly. You know, it, more breaks in the second set, but Medvedev, very level-headed throughout, not losing his cool. He's in a very good frame of mind, and why wouldn't he be? It's his fifth title of the year. Yeah. Five titles before even Roland Garros, so... You know, in terms of the race, he's ahead of everybody and he's setting the stage for a very big year. And he will be in strong contention along with Alcaraz and, and probably Djokovic if he can find the top level of his game again. It may, it may be a three-way race for number one in the world when we get down in the home stretch. But, but Medvedev, uh, I, I thought he played terrific tennis in these last couple of rounds. And those are, those are morale-boosting wins, David, to beat. Oh, yeah. Sitsipas, who'd won four of the last six against him, to beat Holger Runa, who beat him the last time in straight sets pretty comfortably in the quarters of Monte Carlo. And then to come back today to fend him off in a tough first set and then make that comeback from 3-5 down in the second. I mean, he's got to feel very good about himself. And, yeah, and these I, are not easy draws to you. I mean, no. he's beaten top-of-the-line players. So, yeah, total morale booster. Top-of-the-line yeah. players who, who excel on clay mm -hmm. because right at this point it's Runa's best surface and it's – you got to. You can argue that it's also Sitsipas's best surface, and Sitsipas beat Medvedev a couple of years ago at the French. And Sitsipas, of course, that year he got to the two years ago to that final of the French and had two sets to love against Novak. Plus, he won Monte Carlo two years in a row leading up to this year. So we know how good Sitsipas can be on the dirt, and you would have thought maybe that gives him a little edge against Medvedev, but it did not. Uh, Medvedev was just too solid from the baseline. All the talk about sliding. It's true that he's not a natural slider the way a lot of clay court players are, but he's still, when he's in the, when he's, when he's right, he's hardly missing a ball and he seems to be get the footwork seems to be getting better and better. And the serve is still pretty devastating to deal with even on clay. So I honestly think David, that he's like a top three, you could argue top three or top four, but he's got to be in the top four candidates to win Roland Garros on this forum. So correct me if I'm wrong now, will he be the second seed going in? So yes. that means Carlos and, and uh, Carlos and Novak will now be on the same half. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it could be, it could be right. It could be. Yeah, it they... could work out differently, right. uh, but yes, by winning this title, Medvedev moved up to two 
And you think about it, David, he was 12 in the world after the Australian when he lost to Sebastian Corda. 12 in the world. He'd fallen out of the top 10 because he was in the finals there last year. And things were not looking that good. And I, I don't think he was feeling great about things. And it hadn't been a terrific end of 2022 or start to this year. And then look what he's done since with the five titles plus the final of Indian Wells. So, I mean... No, it is. It's interesting because he is second season. I mean, it it would obviously, if Carlos and Novak were the first two seeds, they'd be on opposite sides. Now this, we'll see how it falls out. But he's had an interesting rivalry with Novak, uh, obviously, you know, and a terrific rivalry, including beating Novak in that final of the 2021 U.S. Open, stopping the Grand Slam, losing to him earlier that year in the finals of the Australian. They've had some wonderful matches and the rivalry has developed over these last four years, but he's but Medvedev has only played Carlos though, that one loss here on the hard courts in the U.S. You know, just a few months ago. Right. And, and so you say to you, in, in India, well, so you say to yourself, okay, uh, that that one he took a shellacking, and he and he was a little bit puzzled about what he should do tactically against Carlos. So in a way, I think he would. Uh, I don't, with no disrespect to Novak, but in a way, I think he'd rather be, you know, worry about playing Novak in a semi and hold off on Carlos until the finals, if need be. So I don't think Medvedev is distressed by that draw at all. I think for the fans, it would be better if Novak and Medvedev ended up in the same half. So there was still a potential if Novak and Carlos were to meet, it'd be better for everyone if they met in a final. But let it let it end. That The ideal scenario for me is Djokovic and Medvedev square off in a semi with the winner to meet Alcaraz in the final. I don't think you could have a, a better finish. And don't sleep on Holger Runa. He's got a ton of No, no, wait, I'm not counting. Oh, no, I'm not counting him out as well. Again, he's solid top four there. You could argue about whether he's the third most likely to succeed there or the fourth, but he's right there. You know, he and Medvedev are right on the heels of Alcaraz and, and uh, Djokovic. Meantime, I think from Alcaraz's standpoint, you you just touched on something without really. I think Alcaraz doesn't want any part of Runa right now. Don't get me wrong; he's not afraid to play. Right. Right? But if he, he had playing, a choice of who to face, right? Yeah, I don't think it would be one of the people he would choose to play. And he was having a hard time with him in the Paris indoor event last fall before he got hurt at the end of the second set. He'd already lost the first, so it was hard to gauge on that one day. But I do think Runa. That would be fascinating if the draw, if that's how it played out. And it was Novak and, and Daniel in one semi, and it was Holger Runa playing Carlos in the other semi. That would, could be a blockbuster semi. Both both could be blockbusters. Both could be blockbusters, 100%. I, would, I think tennis fans, I know we would, tennis fans would love to see that. All right. Um, we have to talk about a couple withdrawals um, for Roland Garros, and that's both. Um, Andy Murray and Rafa Nadal, I'll say both not surprising, obviously for different reasons. Andy, he knows his best chance at this stage of his career is the grass way over any clay court event. Um, so I don't think anyone was really surprised that he wants to kind of focus his inj- his uh, energy on the next slam, which would be Wimbledon. Rafa um, did everything he possibly could. You know how much he loves that place. Um that's his home court, right? And he was trying every which way to try to get there. I think a lot of it came back to what you said. He didn't want to just go there just to go there if he really didn't feel like he was a threat to, to win the thing. Um, we don't know exactly if he's going to shut it down the whole 2023 season. We don't know. He may play some hard court. He said it's just going to take a few months. He just wants to 
get his body right. Um, sad. And to me, and, and then I'll pass it on to you. I cannot believe that was just a year ago. He's in the midst of what was going to be a 19 and oh, running the slams two matches away. No guarantees he would beat Kyrgios and Novak at Wimbledon. But the fact of the matter was he was 19 and oh, in slams. He had to withdraw after he beat Fritz in that long match, which he got through when he was injured. And since then, Steve, it's just been one thing after another as far as injury goes. Yeah, well, it, it's one thing after another leading up to that, but it, between the foot, the foot, of course, and the, all the injections during the French last year, the, the rib injury that he had in Indian Wells, the abdominal that he was battling at Wimbledon. There were just too many things going on. Now, what I what I took from this announcement is you're right. He was a little vague about the timetable. And I don't think he because I don't think he really knows for sure how long he's going to sort of put the racket down for a while and heal. But to me, I don't I don't see any way he plays the U.S. So he's certainly not going to play Wimbledon. And I don't think that, I frankly think there's only a I don't even think there's a five percent chance he plays the U.S. Open. I think his plan is get healthy maybe start practicing over the summer and building up a bit so that he can try to have sort of a farewell campaign next year. He wisely said he, it would probably be his last year. He didn't say it would definitely be, but I think in the, in his back of his mind, he probably believes it will be. And, but the, I think he'll realize that if he could just if he kind of writes this year off, uh, it makes sense. And, and, and that's his only way to maybe believe that good things could happen next year. If you were to try to rush back and be ready for the open night, I, I just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I, I think I think he's he, he 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 he's going about it in his usual intelligent analytical way, and uh, and he did say that he doesn't think he deserves to go out in a press conference like that. I get what he's saying, but he won't he won't because of the what the way he's come up with this plan. And the, the fact that he's going to rest. And uh, I do think we'll see him next year. I just hope that when, when that happens, that he can have a healthy stretch. And it doesn't have to be a kind of farewell tour where he's losing to Mackenzie McDonald types. Don't get don't, all due respect to Mackenzie McDonald. But I just think he doesn't want to have losses to players of that ilk left and right next year. Players that he believes that he should beat. He wants to really be in the thick of things and, and, and actually competing for those majors. It's a, it's a big, it's a big ask, but I think he's, as I say, I think he's gone about this just the right way. I like his thinking. I do too. And I, you know, it'll be interesting how, um, how he schedules his 2024. He's going to really have to pick his spots carefully. And the only thing is, is yeah, let's say he does get healthy no matter what, there's still a lot of mileage on that body and you know how hard he prepares and trains and, there, you, you just hope, you know, he's not going to go into 2024 um, ill-prepared. He's going to work hard to get himself ready, and you just hope the body uh, the body holds up. It's, it's, it's getting crazy. We knew it was coming, right? Roger's out now. Rafa, most likely it's going to be 2024. You know, Novak, if he could stay healthy, he's probably got a couple years left. Um, but you see these young kids, you see Runa, you see Medvedev, you see Tsitsipas. They're not even really young kids anymore. Obviously, Carlos, he's just 20 years old. But um, you're seeing some really good rivalries start to develop outside the big three. Um, I know tennis will be fine without the big three, but it's always some of that apprehension. Like these guys carried the sport for so long, Steve. Um, and, you know, you do it with any sport, right? You had, you had 
Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. And then you're like, oh, who's next? You had Michael, right? Then you have Michael. Then you have Kobe Bryant, LeBron. Like there's always apprehension of who's coming next, but the sport itself moves on. And how sad it is to see these legends leave the game. Um, I think there's plenty of people there that will still carry this sport um, to even a better place. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, obviously, we'd like to see some more bright performances from Rapa and Novak bidding for a couple of more majors themselves. So things could, you know, their careers could wind down in the best possible way and maybe have some happy endings there. But I think there was something, it was almost meant to be that Carlos won the U.S. Open last year. I mean, Novak couldn't play the Open and, uh, you know, Rafa wasn't 100% physically. It doesn't matter. A string of five-set victories from Carlos and then he beats Rude in the final. He wins his first major, first teenager since Rafa to win a major. And I think that set the stage because we know what a great player he's going to be. And then we've seen Runa making his moves. And, and you've got Medvedev sort of reawakened and recharged and there, there, there's going to be some terrific things ahead, regardless of what happens with Rafa and Novak. But I will say this. Number one, as far as Rafa's concerned, if the worst case scenario is he, he, he comes back late in the year and plays Davis Cup, there's some talk about that and everything's fine. And he goes to Australia and let's just say that an injury struck again there. All right. At least he would have tried. And then maybe at that point he says, you know what, I, I think this is it for me. But he would he would have given himself another chance. Yes. And as far as Novak is concerned, the, he, these seems these injuries he has right now sound minor, but they seem to be they, they have to be very unsettling to him. He takes such good care of his body. He's got all that elasticity. We always talk about what a physical phenomenon he is. But he has had something's been going on here lately between the leg injury in Australia and. And, and now and now the elbow and possibly the shoulder. So things are catching up to him a bit, too, even as meticulous as he is about his training, which Rafa always has been, too. But we thought of Novak as less injury prone. And by and large, he has been. Right now, though, he's going through a difficult time. And when I said earlier, you know, the sport's going to go to even, you know, uh, uh, we got enough guys in going in. The sport's going to be fine. It's going to be in a great place. I'm not saying that these guys are going to match the big three with slams. I mean, you got to remember, and we've said it, we've said it so many times. The reason these three guys have so many slams was there. They were, there was such a big distance between one, two, and three versus four, five, six, seven, eight. You're not going to see that most likely in the future. You're going to see five, six, seven guys all tightly together. So they're going to divide up slams. So that's why it's going to be extremely hard to get those crazy numbers with slams, but that doesn't mean it's uh, less of a level of the sport is going down at all. It's no, just no, no. The, the way the competition. No, I agree. But also the thing to we have to remember with, with the iconic trio is that they was the drive was how they played off each other. It wasn't sort of an not envy, but, you know, they they tried to get better. Novak knew he had to overcome these two phenomenal players in, in Federer and Nadal and had to come from way behind in both rivalries to overtake them eventually. And they made obviously the old cliche, but it's so true. They made each other better. And, and then they kept garnering all, they kept get, winning an incredible number of majors. Now I will, I, I have to say, I think I do project the car. I'd be shocked if Alcaraz ends his career with anything less than 12 to 14 majors. I'd be shocked. 
he got on the board with his first one at 19 last year. And I expect him to be around a long time and you can just hear it and see it in, and you see it with Runa too, that the depth of their ambition, how much they want it and how they, they don't shy away from expressing it. So I feel like I'm seeing some good signs and I hope Sinner will join them too, that we can still see some prolific achievements, but to have it end up as 22, 22, 20 in majors with a, that's asking too much of these people. But I do think Carlos is going to climb high on the charts and be well, well, way up there in the double digits, somewhere in that 10 to 20 range. A stat that still floors me, and I don't know if Novak's done it, I just think it off the top of my head is, you know, when you look back at, at the big three, those guys won slams. 21 sets to zero they won majors without losing a set rafa did that at the french roger did that at wimbledon i mean that's just crazy steve think about that winning a grand slam not losing a set 21 sets to zero that's crazy yeah well it, it it's crazy not i wouldn't say it was crazy for rafa and roland garrison because he was so much better he was so far superior on clay, which is why he's got 14 of the French and why I think 62 of his 93 titles are on clay is that he's that we, we haven't seen anything quite like that. It was, I mean, Roger was great on grass, but there's not nearly as many grass court events, obviously. And, and uh, Novak is great on all surfaces and, and particularly good on hard, you'd say, but Rafa, which is so far superior on the clay that it never surprised me. That, that he could go through those fields without losing a set because he just, he was relentless and, and he just, he would prime for that tournament every year. Uh, you know, Roger, Roger Wimbledon may, may be a, a more impressive in some ways because guy, guys, like tiebreakers, right? Yeah. Tiebreakers or guy just gets hot for one set and one break and, and beat you. So maybe a little harder to achieve that, but rapid, it never surprised me. I always thought there was a shot that he could pull that off in, in Paris. Incredible. Um, what else before a few final things I just wanted to mention? Anything else? No, no. I think, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, I'm looking forward to the French and, 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 and I, I, I think, I guess either way that the men's draw should be great either way, because either Novak, Novak could end up playing Carlos in the semis, which we'd rather see at the final. And then you'd have Runa against Medvedev again, or it goes the other way. And it's Djokovic, Medvedev and Runa against Carlos. But I don't think we can go very wrong with that semifinal lineup if that's how it plays out. No, last question. I'm going to give you two Americans. Um, Coco Goff, she made the finals last year. She had a, she had a good draw, but still that's an incredible accomplishment. She lost, um, on Sunday, May 14th, a week ago today uh, in Rome, and Taylor Fritz, who Taylor was consistent in the clay court season up until Rome. Again, he played a lot of tennis. Um, are you seeing both those players? Again, we haven't seen a draw yet. It's, it's, it's a while before that comes up. Um, in your mind, are you seeing both them make a serious run at this thing, or you're a little hesitant? No, I, I'm hesitant. I mean, Coco... It's going to be a little bit of a burden to live up to having been in the finals a year ago and it was unexpected and it was fun and she surprised a lot of people. She surprised herself. I, I would, I, I don't see that kind of thing happening this year. I just hope she can have a good tournament and maybe make the quarters. Taylor's a different story. He, he's been in a little bit of a slump lately. He was so consistent up until the middle of the clay court circuit started it off really well. 
I, I he's going to play at 250 this coming week. No, I could see him not winning the French, but I could see him make a, a really nice run. I wouldn't shock me to see him certainly in the quarters and then make a go of it against one of the top four. But but uh, I, I think he's in a different psychological boat right now than she is because it has been a rough stretch for Coco, and I'm very sympathetic to it. But he's had overall a very good year. Uh, well, well, the Americans have a lot. The American men have a lot to live up to, considering their really, really good performance in Australia. I don't know if they'll be able to match that, but hopefully yeah. we'll get a few of the guys make good runs on the clay. We'll, we'll, we'll see. It'll be exciting to watch, right? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, Tiapo struggled a bit. I don't know if it's his best surface. I think Taylor's the most comfortable on it. Tommy Paul hasn't been playing as well lately, but he's capable of going on a decent run in Roland Garcia, as we saw when he made that surprising surge into the semis in Australia on the hard court. So we'll, we'll see what the Americans can do. But uh, I, I'm, I, I, as far as Fritz is concerned, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic that he's going to come round again and get and recover his best form. One thing I do want to mention outside of professional tennis, it just happened today. The NCAA team championships, we referred to it in a previous episode. Always so fun to watch. The University of North Carolina, the women, they won their first team championship. They've won the indoors um, a few times, but they never won the team championship in the spring. So congratulations to them and the Virginia Cavaliers men team. They now won back to back. Shout out for them. The individual competition now starts um tomorrow monday i believe it's always a kind of different feel right because it's more individuals versus team versus team and and the uh the crowds may be a little bit more sparse when it's just individual competition um but it's still fun to watch if you get a chance to check it out the level there is is super high and we've talked about this several times steve um with professional tennis how physical it is and you're you're starting to play later and later in your career um college tennis is is a viable path we've seen it especially on the on the women's side a lot of grand slam finalists danielle collins jen brady just to name a few i know i'm forgetting a, a few more but those are just two that, that pop up in my mind um on the men's side cam nori he played at tcu um it, it's becoming a viable uh pathway to the pros so if you have time check it out high high level agreed oh yeah absolutely and i would say i do think they take a lot of pride in the individuals who are representing their their colleges too. You're right. It's a different, it's a different situation, different feel, but I still think they, they feel like they're representing their schools and they're very proud of that. A hundred percent. All right. Well, this was fun. We got a lot, we covered a lot, Steve and uh, second slam. It feels like we've, uh, we've had a lot of tennis in 2023 and we haven't even started the second slam yet. So um, exciting stuff. We're going to do this next week, probably, um, if not the eve before the French Open, probably the day of on that Monday. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. It's going to be a very, very interesting second slam. I think so. I think so. And obviously it's going to have a whole different feel to it. It's going to be a strange thing to have no wrap-up. I mean, look, look, look at that dominance. He played it 18 years in a row. He won it 14 times. Two players beat him. Two players beat him in all those years. Soderling in 09, Djokovic twice. In the 15, he beat him in the quarters, and then he beats him again in the semis in 21. And yet he suffered, of course, eight losses against him as well. Against, But that's just ridiculously, it's a ridiculous record. And obviously, we came there every year. And Rafa, the only other, the 18 years, the only other loss was he had a default in the third round one year. So that's, that's, 
that's the shadow he cast over that event. And everybody naturally feared him in the friendliest possible way. And now he's not there. And, and so it, it, it's going to be a strange in that regard. But I still think those, those, those men at the top, the four that are expected to get to the semis are going to stir up a lot of interest and make it a lot of fun. I agree. Can't wait to see how it all shakes out. And we'll be back uh, next week to talk to talk more. So thanks again for your time, Steve. Thank you, David.